If you have your Bibles this morning, I encourage you to turn to Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 to 17. We're going to be looking at those verses today. As you're turning there, I just want to start with this this morning. Many years ago in the city of Minneapolis at Bethlehem Baptist Church, they needed a Sunday school teacher for the junior boys. This class wasn't bad, just energetic. (laughs) No teacher had been able to control them. Ewald Chaldberg, a Swedish masseur, was asked to teach, and he took the junior boys' class. Ewald still had a Swedish accent. Buzzing all over the church was the word, he'll never make it. Three weeks, and that will be the end. But somehow, Ewald Chaldberg believed God when he took the class, and he stayed with it through the years. He kept teaching boys. Some years ago, this author writes, I was asked to come to that church and share in a service. It was the 10th anniversary of the death of Ewald Chaldberg. How do you like that? A layman in the church, and they're celebrating the 10th anniversary of his death. During the service, they recounted that at least 40 men were in Christian service someplace in the world because Ewald Chaldberg taught boys, loved them, and watched over them as they grew. Ewald had faith to believe that God would overcome his human limitations. On the morning of that anniversary celebration, 27 laypersons stood up to say, we're going to be like Ewald Chaldberg in a small way. The obscure immigrant with a Swedish accent found significance because he trusted the Lord who said, my idea is bigger than your idea. Isn't that neat? It's like he overcame this, what, Swedish accent here in the United States to be able to do this. He overcame the odds of people thinking that he would not make it, but he trusted God to take care of that. He knew that the power of God was more important, more significant than any incompetence that he might have. And so most of you know my calling story. I've told you multiple times in the past almost 15 years. In the pastoral ministry, God answered me as I cried out to him in prayer one morning on my way to work in Southern California. And he said to me, I already told you what I wanted you to do, and I knew it was pastoral ministry. Um, but it scared me. And in fact, I had one major fear that I expressed to him. What will I preach about every Sunday? I have no idea what to do. And and my father wasn't much help. He's been a pastor, retired pastor now, and I called him and I said, how do you know what you're supposed to preach every Sunday? He goes, the Lord will tell you. I'm like, well, that's not helpful. (laughs) It's not making the fear go away. But God used a book written by Chuck Smith, the founder of Calvary Chapel, to calm that fear in me. Chuck Smith had shared in that book that he began preaching verse by verse through books of the Bible, and I knew that I could do that, which I have done for almost 15 years. I also knew the stress involved in pastoring since I grew up as a past, in a pastor's home. And you know, the great thing is, is that God met all of my excuses with his comfort, compassion, love, patience, and guidance. 
See, what I wanted to do was I wanted to focus on my inadequacies and my fears. But God wanted me to focus on His unlimited power. And so how about you today? How many of us have given God excuse after excuse when He's called us to do something? We know He's called us, right? But we're like, well, God, I can't do that. No, here's the reason why. No, I'm raising my kids. No, I'm doing this. No, I'm doing that. I can't do those things. How many of us have focused on our inadequacies instead of God's unlimited power? So Moses used so many excuses with God, as we've seen in this passage so far. First, he told God that he was a nobody and that the Israelites would not listen to him. But God said that he would be with Moses and that the elders of Israel would listen to him. When Moses still struggled with whether or not the Israelites would believe him or listen to him, God gave him three miraculous signs that he could uh, perform to prove that God had sent him and was with him. And as we'll see today, Moses expressed one more excuse before he finally came clean with God. Moses was focused on his uh, incompetence instead of God and his power. So Moses needed to understand that God's omnipotence mattered more than his incompetence. And we need to learn the same thing today. And that's our big idea, is that God's omnipotence, which means he's all-powerful, matters more than our incompetence. So let's pray and just commit this message to the Lord in prayer today. Lord, we come to you as a hungry people. Lord, we want to be fed through your word today. And I pray that you would just accomplish that. Lord, but we just allow your word to sink deep into our hearts and minds and just to feed our soul today. Lord, would you help us to understand that whatever fears or excuses we have are insignificant compared to your power. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak through a cracked and chipped vessel today for your honor and glory. And we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have two points today. <clears throat> excuse and excuse. And they're spelled the same way. Just so you know, you'll understand when we get there. Let's look at verses 10 to 12. This is the final excuse that, that Moses gives. Moses said to the Lord, O oh Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither, is, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will send you, or yeah, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. So what we see here is excuse. It's the noun uh, form of this word. The Lord had just given Moses the power to do three miraculous signs, two of which he had already experienced. He threw his staff on the ground and turned it into a snake, and then he picked it back up and it turned back into a staff. And then he had put his hand inside of his cloak and it turned leprous, and then he put, uh, put it back in and it turned clean. So it was diseased and then was restored. But Moses had one more excuse. He said, I've never been eloquent, 
I'm slow of speech and tongue. What exactly was Moses struggling with? Well, there's all kinds of uh, ideas about that. Was it a speech impediment or a defect? Even if this was the case, we see throughout the rest of Exodus and Deuteronomy that Moses does a pretty good job of speaking in public. He doesn't have problems doing that. He doesn't always use Aaron as his mouthpiece. He is able to speak on his own. So God was powerful enough to enable Moses to speak clearly. So I don't know that it was a speech impediment or a defect. Was it a concern over not using Egyptian for 40 years? Because he was going to be going to, um, to Egypt, right? And he was going to be going before the Pharaoh. And I consider this hypothesis to be pretty weak. It seems like some scholar was just reaching at some point to try and figure out what this problem was that, uh, that Moses is... is giving the Lord this excuse. Was it, quote-unquote, exaggerated humility? This has some merit because we see, uh, as Stuart brings out in his commentary, in the style of ancient Near Eastern, uh, yeah, ancient Near Eastern, exaggerated humility, often employed in situations where one is appealing for help or mercy from someone else or showing one's mannerly self-deprecation at being given a great assignment. So, I mean, certainly Moses is given a great assignment here, and he's like feeling inadequate, right? And so he's like, oh, Lord, you know, I, I can't speak very well. Stewart outlines multiple scriptures throughout the Old and New Testaments where this style is used, but the only concern with exaggerated humility that I see is that Moses would not have needed a helper to speak if he was just simply saying, well, I'm just being humble. Well, I can do it. I don't really want to do it, but I can do it. He wouldn't need Aaron to come and help him. So was it difficulty with formulating words under pressure? I think this has a lot of merit especially since the Lord provides Aaron as a helper for Moses. McKay in his commentary says, Moses was afraid that in the intense negotiations that would undoubtedly take place with Pharaoh, he would not be quick or persuasive enough to present the case adequately before Pharaoh. So here's this inadequacy that he has. How many of us would agree that we do not feel adequate to formulate words or ideas under pressure? Like, we, oh, I'm not very good at that. I don't want to do that. I find that I usually just hold my tongue and not speak when I'm under pressure to come up with a, a response, right? I need time to think and to formulate a proper response. And when I don't do that is usually when I make a mistake or say something that I don't mean. And so Moses recognized that he had never been this way in the past. He'd never been eloquent. And it hadn't changed since the Lord had spoken to him. Kyle and Dillich say, Moses meant to say, I neither possess the gift of speech by nature, nor have I received it since thou hast spoken to me. He hadn't yet received the power from God to do what God was calling him to do. But I love the fact that God was not caught off guard by Moses' confession. Right? He already knew that Moses had never been eloquent and that he was slow of speech and tongue. But that didn't matter to God. Moses was his chosen a vessel through which he was going to set the Israelites free. He knew, he knew Moses' character. God was able to use Moses in spite of his weakness and fear. You see, because God's omnipotence, his power matters more than our incompetence. And that leads us to our first principle today, that God can use our weaknesses for his glory. Aren't you grateful? We have to let him, right? <laughs> we still have to be willing to be used of him. 
It's probably safe to say that most of us struggle with fear about sharing the gospel with our family, friends, neighbors, and coworkers. We may say, like Moses, that we have never been eloquent and are slow of speech and tongue. That's why I can't share the gospel. We may fear being asked a question that we don't have the answer to. And we're concerned that we may not share the gospel well enough or clearly enough. God's able to do so much. His power and His Holy Spirit are working behind the scenes. Ricky Ancy in his book, The Fifth Wave, says, God doesn't call the equipped son. God equips the called, and you have been called. Every one of us have been called to share the gospel with those in our sphere of influence. Let me give you some biblical support for this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through chapter 2, verse 5, we read these words. This should encourage you today. Brothers, think of what you were before you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many uh, uh, were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Then Paul starts to speak here. He says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Listen to what he says next. I came to you in weakness and fear and with trembling my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words but with a demonstration of the spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom but on god's power second corinthians chapter 12 verses 7 to 10 Paul, again, writing to the Corinthian believers, he says this. He says, To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations that he had received, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Matthew chapter 10, verses 19 to 20 tell us this. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be your, you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. The apostles experienced that. And we can too. First Corinthians chapter 3, again, Paul writing to the Corinthians, verses 6 to 9. What, after all, is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. 
So neither, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So you see, God can use our fear of sharing the gospel for his glory. He wants us to rely on the Holy Spirit to strengthen us through our shaky voice and scattered thoughts. Because God's omnipotence matters more than our incompetence. His desire is that we share what we know. If we don't know the answer to a question, we can simply say, I don't know, but I'll get you the answer. And what does that do? It leaves the door open for another conversation about the things of God. There's the open door for the next conversation. So maybe you're ready to take this first next step today, and it's on the back of your communication cards. That's to trust God to use me for his glory in spite of my fear and weakness. One of the great evangelists of all time and founder of the YMCA, D.L. Moody, was very impacting but not very polished. A woman came to him after one service and said, Mr. Moody, I noticed in your message that you made 18 grammatical mistakes. Ma'am, Moody replied, I'm using all the grammar I got for the Lord. What are you doing with yours? Ouch. <laughs> he understood. He knew that he wasn't a polished speaker. He knew that he wasn't using grammar correctly. That didn't matter. God was using his weakness to accomplish his will and purpose. God understood Moses' concern, but did not let him off the hook. Right, Moses is like, this is the final excuse. God has to let me out of this. I, I don't want to do this. But Alexander says, in response, God uses a series of rhetorical questions to underscore that his power extends to the realm of human speech. And so we see God's response here. First, he says, I'm the creator. Just, just so you, in case you've forgotten Moses, I created everything. In, in fact, your mouth and your eyes and your ears the Lord asked Moses three questions that he did not expect him to answer. They were rhetorical. The Lord answered his own questions with another question. Is it not I, the Lord? Am I not the creator of everything? Am I not all-powerful? And the Lord helped Moses understand that he, as creator, had the power to help Moses speak clearly and the power to teach Moses what to say. You see, because God's omnipotence matters more than our incompetence. That brings us to our second principle today, that God is creator. And as creator, he is all-powerful. There's nothing impossible for him. Do you believe that today? We might say it. We not always believe it in our heart. Whether it's a speech impediment or an inability to think quickly under pressure, God has the power to help. Warren Wearsby says this, The God who made us is able to use the gifts and abilities given us to accomplish the tasks he's assigned us. The Lord was going to be Moses' helper and teacher. That's the second thing that he says here after he tells him he's the creator. He says, listen, <clears throat> you need to go now. The Lord was ready for his freedom plan to get started. And so perhaps the Lord's just saying to Moses here, stop making excuses, Moses, and get going. You're my chosen guy. You're not getting out of this. You need to go. And then he says, I will help you speak. The Hebrew literally reads this way, I will be with your mouth. 
God's saying to Moses, I'm going to be with your mouth. I'm going to teach you what to say. I'm going to help you to speak the words. God did, did, uh, did, not, did this not only with Moses, but as we'll see in verse 15, he's making this promise to Moses and Aaron. That, and then he says, I will teach you what to say. <clears throat> Spurgeon often worked 18 hours a day. Famous explorer and missionary David Livingston once asked him, how do you manage to do two men's work in a single day? Spurgeon replied, you've forgotten that there are two of us. Right? He understood that the Holy Spirit was working supernaturally through him to accomplish what seemed humanly impossible because God's all-powerful. And so God did not give Moses this huge job to do and then send him on his way alone. He helped him and he taught him. And because of God's omnipotence, that matters more than our incompetence, Moses was able to move forward. Our third principle today is this, that God helps us and teaches us. When God asks us to do something for him, he will not leave us alone. He will help us and teach us also. What's the Lord asking you to do that you feel inadequate or unprepared to do? Do you believe that he will help you to have the strength and courage to speak and he'll teach you what to say? Maybe you're ready to take this second next step today, and that's to ask the Lord to help me have the strength and courage to speak to. Who does he been taught, prompting you to speak to and about what? And trust him to teach me what to say. My guess is that you know who it is and what it is that you're supposed to talk to somebody about. God will help you and he'll teach you. The Lord addressed all of Moses' fears and excuses, so Moses finally confessed his true feelings. Look at verses 13 to 17, and this is excuse. But Moses said, oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you uh, what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if you were, you were that it, I'm sorry, it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform miraculous signs with it. <clears throat> so we see Moses' confession here. He, he uses the word for Lord here. He doesn't address God as Jehovah, which is all capital letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. He doesn't use that one, which is the existing one, the proper name of the one true God. Instead, he uses Adonai, which is capital L, lowercase o-r-d, which means Lord, Master, Sovereign. So that's important here. Moses did not want to do what God was calling him to do. He said it in the most neutral and non-offensive way as possible. McKay says it this way, send by the hand of whomever you will send, but not me is understood. He's like, send whomever you want to send. God's, God's thinking, I already am sending whom I want to send. It's you, Moses. I like what Merida says then in his commentary. Every one of his questions had been answered in stunning ways. Uh, now he basically said, here I am, send someone else, right? 
He wasn't like Isaiah the prophet who when he was called in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, he said this, here I am, send me. No, Moses was like, here I am. I'm listening to you, burning bush, but just can you send somebody else? How many of us have told the Lord the same thing that Moses did? Here I am, send someone else. When he's asked us to share the gospel with our neighbor, when he's asked us to serve at the local food pantry, when he's asked us to teach Sunday school or children's church, when he's asked us to give sacrificially, when he's asked us to go on the missions field, when he's asked us to serve him in pastoral ministry, when he's asked us to serve him in a volunteer capacity at church or with another ministry. How many of us have just said to the Lord, here I am, let's send someone else. And I'm sure the Lord was or is angry with us when we tell him no. That was how he responded to Moses. We see the Lord's response here. The Lord's anger burned against Moses. It took the Lord a long time to get angry with Moses. Well, that's interesting. I don't, know why. I don't know why that's coming up. I'll have to check the schedule because that was not in the schedule. <laughs> Just in case you were sleeping, it's time to wake up. <laughs> Anyhow, it took the Lord a long time to get angry with Moses. He answered all of Moses' questions up to this point, right? McKay goes on and says, When Moses presented reasoned arguments against what he was required to do, God gave reasoned responses. Now that he is simply being insubordinate to the one he recognizes as Lord, the conversation's broken off. There must be no more attempts to get around what he has been told to do. So I don't know about you, but this fourth principle is good for me today too. God is slow to anger. Aren't you grateful? Let me give you some biblical support for that. Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 to 7 He's speaking to Moses as he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. The psalmist, writing in Psalm 86, verse 15, says, But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Joel uh, the prophet writing in chapter 2, verse 13 says, Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Jonah expressed the same character of God uh, in Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, when he prayed to the Lord. He was like, I, I knew that you were going to do this, right? That's his complaint. God, I knew that you were going to relent and turn from calamity because you are slow to anger and you're gracious and compassionate and abounding in love. And so Jonah was upset, if you remember. Aren't you glad that God is slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness towards you and I? I know that I am, especially since I told him no about pastoral ministry for 13 years. And since coming into the pastoral ministry, I am at such peace with what God's called me to do. He was so gracious, compassionate, loving, and faithful to me during those years where I had said no. I was working in ministry. I was doing children's ministry. He provided for my financial support every year with the two faith-based ministries that I served in. He brought individuals into his family through salvation as I shared the gospel with people through these children's ministries. 
How have you experienced the fact that God is slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness? Maybe you need to thank him today, and that's the third next step, is to thank the Lord for being gracious, compassionate, loving, faithful, and slow to anger when I have said no to or about. You know, I'm grateful that the Lord does not give up on us. John Corson says, The Lord is angry with Moses, but he doesn't give up on Moses. He simply expands his call to include Aaron as Moses' mouthpiece. And so <clears throat> we see the Lord giving Moses this helper. He has this suggestion. He says, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? Now, why the author included the Levite after Aaron's name, um, I'm not sure. Because Moses was obviously a Levite too. They had the same parents. Perhaps it, would be, it was a foreshadowing of Aaron's role as priest that was coming. And so God says he can speak well. Even though the Lord had promised to be with Moses' mouth and teach him what to say, Moses still felt inadequate. What Moses lacked, Aaron had in abundance. But that would eventually get him into trouble with the golden calf situation in Exodus 32. So Moses and Aaron would be an incredible team together. Aaron would need Moses' strong spiritual guidance from the Lord to keep him heading in the right direction. The Lord shared some insider information with Moses about his brother. We see God's foreknowledge here. As I mentioned earlier, God was not caught off guard by Moses' confession about not being eloquent. He was also not caught off guard by Moses' refusal. God's plan to rescue his people would not be thwarted by Moses' perceived inadequacies and refusal. <clears throat> he had already prompted Aaron to leave Egypt and begin making his way to Midian to find Moses. This was God's providence at work. God laid out his plan concerning how this co-speaker arrangement would work. We see God's plan here. <clears throat> we see an order of speaking. God was going to speak to Moses. Moses was going to speak to Aaron. Aaron would speak to the people and Pharaoh. And as Stuart says in his commentary, thus God was the revealer, Moses the prophet, and Aaron the public repeater. An arrangement not unlike that in modern church involving God, the scriptures as the location of his word, and the preacher as the public repeater. And we see that this is a divine message. God would help both Moses and Aaron to speak. He would teach them what to do. The messages that Moses received were spoken to Aaron, who would share them with the people. But God was the originator of the messages and not Moses or Aaron. <clears throat> so how does all of this apply to us today? God will not give up on us either. Our fifth principle is this. God will provide everything we need to do what he calls us to do. Moitier says this, the Lord's forethought anticipates our needs. His providence. He knows ahead of time. He's eternal. He knows all about the excuses that we'll give him. <clears throat> he already knows that. He knows that we will ask to be excused from the task. He will provide individuals that will walk alongside of us as we do what he's called us to do. The greatest one of those is the Holy Spirit that lives within us. Aren't you grateful for that? We were just learning about the Holy Spirit in Sunday school this morning. Parakletos, the one who comes beside. That's the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're ready to take this fourth next step today, and that's to ask the Lord to provide. Is it some resource? 
an individual or something else so I can do what he's calling me to do. Ask the Lord to send that person. God will not give up on you even when you refuse to do what he's calling you to do. He will provide all that you need so you can be obedient to his calling because God's omnipotence matters more than our incompetence. Wearsby says this, the will of God will never lead you where the power of God can't enable you so walk by faith in his promises. God reminds Moses about his staff. He says, don't forget that staff. That's an important piece. He reminds Moses to take the staff in his hand because he was going to use it to perform miraculous signs. So where are you today? Do you need to trust God to use you for his glory in spite of your fears and weaknesses? Do you need to ask the Lord to help you to have the strength and courage to speak to someone about a certain situation and trust him to teach you what to say? Do you need to thank the Lord for being gracious, compassionate, loving, faithful, and slow to anger when you've said no to his calling? Or maybe you need to ask the Lord to provide resources, individuals, or something else so you can do what he's calling you to do. As a body of believers, all of those things apply to us. We need to trust God to use us for his glory in spite of our fears and weaknesses. Think about the hallelujah party that's coming up. We have a great opportunity to share the gospel. We need to ask the Lord to help us have the strength and courage to speak for him and trust him to teach us what to say. We can thank the Lord for being gracious, compassionate, loving, faithful, and slow to anger with us as a body. And we can ask the Lord to provide resources and individuals to help us do what he's calling us to do. John Ortberg, in, his, uh, in a sermon that he preached, shared this illustration. <clears throat> Many years ago, I was walking in Newport Beach, a beach in Southern California, with two friends. Two of us were on staff together at a church, and, and one was an elder at the same church. We walked past a bar where a fight had been going on inside. The fight had spilled out into the street just like the, an old western. <clears throat> Several guys were beating up on, one, uh, on another guy, and he was bleeding from the, from the forehead. We knew we had to do something, so we went over to break up the fight. I don't think we were very intimidating. All we did was walk over and say, Hey, you guys, cut, a, cut that out. <clears throat> It didn't do much good. Then all of a sudden, they looked up, looked at us with fear in their eyes. The guys who had been beating up on the other guy stopped and started to slink away. I didn't know why until we turned and looked behind us. Out of the bar had come the biggest man I had ever seen. He was something like six feet seven inches, maybe 300 pounds, maybe 2% body fat, just huge. We called him Baba, not to his face, but afterwards when we talked about him. Baba didn't say a word. He just stood there and flexed. You could tell he was hoping they would try and have a go at him. All of a sudden, my attitude was transformed, and I said to those guys, you better not let us catch you coming around here again. I was a different person because I had great big Baba. I was ready to confront with resolve and firmness. I was released from anxiety and fear. I was filled with boldness and confidence. I was ready to help somebody that needed uh, helping. I was ready to serve where serving was required. Why? Because I had great big Baba. I was convinced that I was not alone. I was safe. And if I were convinced that Baba were with me 24 hours a day, I would have a fundamentally different approach to my life. If I knew Baba was behind me all day long, you wouldn't want to mess with me but he's not. I can't count on Bubba. Again and again, the writers of Scripture pose this question for us. 
How big is your God? Again and again, we're reminded that one who is greater than Baba has come, and you don't have to wonder whether or not he'll show up. He's always there. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to live your life in hiding. You have a great big God, and he's called you to do something, so get on with it. So I want, again, just want to encourage you today Don't be afraid for what God's calling you to do. Don't be like Moses. Understand that that God's omnipotence, his all-powerful attribute, it matters more than our weaknesses, our fears, our incompetence. And so, as the ushers prepare to take up the tithes and offerings and the communication cards, as the worship team comes, would you bow your heads with me? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are all-powerful that there's nothing that's impossible with you. Lord, we thank you that you have promised to be with us, to teach us, to help us to speak. Lord, we thank you that the Holy Spirit lives within us and, and watches over and protects us. Lord, I pray that we would be motivated today to be obedient to what you're calling us to do. We commit ourselves to you wholeheartedly, and we ask this in Jesus' name.